Uh, oh man, dropping my notes already. Wow. Amen. That's an amazing song. All right, so we're actually not going to be talking about David, but we are going to be talking about Joseph. Uh, So last week we talked about Joseph uh, and Joseph's integrity. Uh, Just to catch those of us who weren't here or or less familiar with the story, uh, Joseph uh, is the son of Jacob, uh, and he, he has these 12 brothers, right? And they hate him. Uh, because like he's most loved by by his father, uh, he he uh, they kind of see him as a little bit of a tattletale because uh, he he gave a bad report. The Bible says, and knowing knowing these brothers and how kind of ridiculous they are, they probably deserved it uh, because then they subsequently go and then try to kill Joseph, uh, but instead they settle for enslavement, and so they just sell him into slavery. And so we we talked about last week how uh, that chain of events uh, and, and Joseph's perseverance actually led him to, uh, you know, be enslaved and then be imprisoned and then to become Lord of Egypt through some, like, weird happenstance with, like, him interpreting a dream of Pharaoh's. And so we're going to pick up the story there. So Joseph has suffered all this stuff, but now he's kind of at the top of the chain, all right? And all his integrity and all his righteousness and perseverance has really earned for him this great reward being, you know, like, the, the Lord of Egypt, being in charge of everything in the land, all right? And so... Uh, the, the dream that Joseph had, uh, had uh, interpreted for Pharaoh prophesied that there was going to be a famine in the land. There would be like seven years of, of, of great harvest, but then seven years of no food anywhere. And so Joseph has this plan to store up grain those seven fruitful years to then prepare for the seven ones of famine. Uh, and so we, we get here in the story uh, that, uh, you know, there's, there's a famine in the land and, and Joseph is basically selling all this sort of grain to people that have none. And so what, what happens at that point is that who, who shows up to buy grain from Egypt but, lo and behold, Joseph's brothers. Yeah. These very guys that had sold him into slavery, wanted to kill him, and hated his guts. <laughs> and you might be thinking, wow, this is kind of awkward. And you're right. It is kind of awkward. We're actually going to see just how awkward it gets. Go ahead and turn over to uh, Genesis 42, where we'll pick up the story here. So Joseph's meeting with his brothers goes something like this in uh, Genesis 42. And we'll start here in verse 1. Uh, when Jacob learned that there was grain In Egypt, this is Joseph's father, uh, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He he continued, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Great plan. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, his full brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons, uh, Israel is just another name for Jacob. Uh, so Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain for the famine. Uh, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also, where they lived. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, and one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. 
Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. Which is kind of rich, you know, coming from the guys who like sold him into slavery. We're honest men. Trust us. <laughs> Say it right to his face. No, he said to them. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Also, kind of ironic and hilarious, because uh, they're referring to Joseph, you know, this guy who they told their father was actually dead. One is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Uh, talking about Benjamin, the one they left behind. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison. So that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified, and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. And so Joseph, uh, you know, pretends not to know his brothers. Uh, and they say a lot of, you know, ironic and, and incriminating things. Uh, and he tries to get them to bring uh, their youngest brother, his full brother, uh, to him basically by, by carrying on this ruse. Uh, and, and a lot goes on and it's very weird. And he sends, he sends them back uh, to, their, to their father with like a bunch of grain and actually gives them their money back. Uh, and they think this is all like a trap to kind of, uh, you, know, you know, make them out to be spies. That, oh man, they like stole our silver and our grain. Uh, and it's just very weird. Uh, and it, it kind of, it has to be asked, why does Joseph do this? All right, why doesn't he just have out with it? Because uh, it, it just seems kind of goofy and kind of weird and almost like spiteful in a way. Uh, but we're going to see later, uh, kind of by Joseph's reaction, that, that spite really isn't in his heart. Uh, and we'll, we'll see in his reaction that really he's not, he's not trying to get back at his brothers. Uh, and I think all of this really just illustrates Joseph's insecurity, which, which is kind of weird uh, and, and not really uh, at the surface here. But it's, it's this awkward situation. And I, I think Joseph probably thinks his brothers still hate him. It, it, every indication is that nothing has really changed. They're, they're actually still pretending that he's dead. Uh, and they, they know that he's probably just a slave somewhere. Uh, but they're still sticking to the story that their, their youngest brother is no more. And so it's this weird thing where Joseph is, you know, trying to be with them and trying to get his brother so he can see them. You know, these people that uh, he hasn't seen in, in years, but is still trying to navigate, okay, like this is my new life. Like they probably still hate me. Because I think to, to reveal himself at this point is to be like incredibly emotionally vulnerable with them. Uh, and to offer them help as Joseph instead of as the Lord of Egypt is to be incredibly vulnerable. Right. Uh, and and he's, he's the Lord of Egypt and obviously in, in, in a place of power that's high above them. And they're, they're going to have to give him respect, but they don't have to love him. You know, it's kind of reveal himself is to put all the cards on the table and just see how they fall. You know, just to see if his, if his brothers are just going to reject him again. And they'll have to give him respect. But I think really what Joseph wants here is to have his family back. You know, I don't think he, he cares so much about their respect more than he just wants his brothers. 
to be with him, to love him, to, to be welcomed back to the fold in that way. And so, you know, he has this ruse where he's trying to be with them, but he's not really sure yet of, of how he kind of wants to reveal to them who he is. Uh, and he continues to string them along and, you know, and, and honestly causes his family a ton of stress where uh, uh, Jacob, their, their father, is kind of convinced that if he sends their youngest uh, to Egypt, he's just going to get uh, killed or, or enslaved because he's already lost his other son. Uh, and so he, he's very mistrustful of the situation. And let's, let's, let's see what happens when they finally do come back. And there's, there's a few chapters worth of material here that we won't really go over. But what happens when they come back the second time? Go ahead and turn over to chapter 45. Starting in verse 1. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. His, his brothers are here with him. All right? And he, like, he can't handle the emotional stress anymore of having them there with him, but, with him, but not being with them you know, as, as a brother. So he says, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Uh, then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And y'all better start begging for mercy because of all the junk I've had to go through because of you. I've been enslaved. I've been imprisoned. All right, I hit the lowest of lows, and it's all your fault. And obviously, if you're reading along, you know this is not actually what he says. Uh, he says, no, no, he doesn't say any of that. You know, he says, do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives. That God sent me ahead of you. What in the world? Uh, for two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made my father. Uh, he made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves... And so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. And so after all, all that was done, after the plot to murder, after the, the enslavement, the imprisonment, and everything that happened to him at the hands of his brothers, you know, J Joseph has this radical reaction. Uh, and when I read this, I go like, how? Like, why? Like, how in the world is he, is, is he able to do this? You know, 
how's, how is he able to forgive like that? Because I think it's, it's just so counter and opposite to the way we, we, we react here. And I think for me, like, at the very least, I would have wanted some kind of, like, emotional justification here. You know, some, like, some, some at least, like, mental and emotional uh, retribution for what they had done. And, you know, maybe not imprison them. Uh, and I would think myself noble for not, like, imprisoning them and killing them on the spot. But I'd want them to feel bad about it. I'd want them to, to understand everything I had gone through. Yeah. You know, to be in turmoil about the pain they had caused me. But what does Joseph say in verse 5? And now do not be distressed. And do not even be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And I just think, how, how insane is that? That Joseph, Joseph's level of forgiveness isn't even at the level of like emotional retribution. You know, he lets them off the hook physically, but he, he wants them to stew. And he's like, guys, don't even be distressed. Like, forgive yourselves for, for what you've done to me. All I really want is to have you guys back. And I think Joseph displays just so much godly character here in the way that he forgives. And I think this is really, really Joseph's reaction here is summed up in two things, which are my, my two points here. Is that, one, forgiveness is vulnerable. All right? And two, forgiveness is radical. Uh, and Joseph, Joseph is extremely vulnerable here at an emotional level. You know, he, it shows how he reacts because he's so scared to reveal himself that he, he puts on this ruse uh, that, that he doesn't recognize and that he thinks they're, he thinks they're spies. And he, he just wants his family back, but they've rejected him. Uh, and to forgive is to put all of that on the line and really just open himself up to that kind of emotional turmoil once more of just being rejected again. Uh, and he finally has out with it and, you know, opens up uh, himself to their scorn and to their emotional rejection by, by offering them help and by forgiving them. And at, at the end of the day, these guys had nothing to offer Joseph. At the end of the day, they, they, they didn't even seem remorseful for what they've done. He's just kind of an afterthought to them. In, the, in their account to what they thought was Pharaoh's Lord, they were like, okay, we have 12 brothers. Uh, one's not with us and one's just no more. No more details afforded him than that. He's just the brother that's nameless and is no more. Amen. No indication of remorse. No, 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 like, uh, no consideration on their part in their recounting of this experience. And still pretending he had died. Hadn't, hadn't apologized or anything. And they deserved nothing Joseph gave them. And, you know, he, he doesn't just forgive them. He, he, he gives them a lot more. But they have nothing to prove. They've done nothing to prove that they're going to respond to his forgiveness. They've done nothing to prove that they're, they're remorseful, they're apologetic, that, you know, anything is going to change after he forgives them. And in fact, every indication is given that they might actually hate him all the more uh, for, for being Lord over them. You know, and, and he got into all this trouble from this dream yeah. that had them bowing down to him. What, did they, what have they just done? Bowed down to him. This is the reason that they wanted to kill him was because they couldn't stand that he was going to be Lord over them. So they're like, we're going to fix this. We're going to send you off to a land where we're never going to see you again. Uh, playing right into the hands of God, obviously. But uh, Joseph opened himself up to that rejection and pain, even without guarantees. With no sign that they were going to come back and that they were going to respond to that love. And, and Joseph took it even further. And I think, you know, it would have been easy to just go like, uh, he, he didn't just go like, hey, like, I actually don't hate you guys. Like, congrats. Like, here's some food. Go on your way. Uh, you know, we'll just pretend this whole thing never happened. Uh, he rewards them 
even in their lack of righteousness. And he says, don't even feel distressed about this, but also here, take these lands. You're going to live here with me and comfort. You're going to live here and you're going to have all, all the comfort afforded to me in Pharaoh's household. You're going to have lands. You're going to have food. You're going to have honor here with me in Egypt. And he rewards them without any righteousness on their part. I think this is just so radical. Yeah. You know, it's such an amazing example. Uh, but Joseph, uh, he, he rewards them uh, even without any indication. But this level of radical forgiveness, you know, it, it pales in comparison to what Christ has done for each and every one of us. You know, and this is such an amazing and uh, un, like seemingly unattainable uh, measure of forgiveness. But Christ has done even more for us. Christ is an even greater example. Go ahead and turn over to Romans 5. Romans 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Christ, Christ's love for us was extremely vulnerable. Because uh, it says here he died for us while we were still enemies. He had no indication that what he was going to do was going to be given back. You know, he had no indication that, that anyone here was going to respond in righteousness. Because the story, this, for, for, for each and every one of us, the story of our lives before Christ is just that of sin. You know, it's just that of enmity between us and God. That was at the moment that Christ died for us. And that's, that's an extremely vulnerable thing. And just think about the, the pain and suffering that Joseph went through pales in comparison to the suffering that Christ went through. Right. Christ had no, he didn't even, Christ on earth didn't have any honor. That kind of made it worth it in the end. Uh, all he earned for himself with his righteousness and his love for us was pain and death and shameful death. You know, just earned for himself disrespect by the religious authorities. You know, opposition from from people he was trying to help. And then in the end, you know, flogging, arrest, uh, you know, gross injustice, uh, and even death on a cross. Incredibly vulnerable. But like Joseph, you know, I think Christ, Christ did it uh, because he wants a relationship with us. And like Joseph just wanted to be restored with his brothers, Christ just wanted us as his brothers and sisters. You know, and, and put everything on the line emotionally just so that we could have fellowship with him, you know, and be with him and, you know, be connected with him here on earth, but then have an eternity with him in heaven as well. I yeah. uh, want so badly to have his brothers and sisters back from, from our waywardness. And even after, uh, you know, e- even with our sin nailing him to the cross, he went and forgave us through that sacrifice. 
so vulnerable. Uh, and, you know, and with, with our sin, we nailed him to the cross and, and sold him down to the river and, and, and consigned him to death and separation from, from the cross. And we, we've done everything that Joseph did, uh, that Joseph's brothers did to Joseph and more to Christ with our sin. But God still suffered for us and forgave us. And even beyond that, go ahead and turn over to Ephesians. And again, sorry for making us suffer even more of Ephesians uh, than we already have this year, uh, having gone through it in the past, uh, past couple months here. But in Ephesians 1, <clears throat> verse 3, uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You go ahead and uh, hop over to chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath but because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy made us alive with christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved and god raised us up with christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in christ jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressing his kindness to us in christ jesus for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not from yourselves it is the gift of god not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, we're, we're not just forgiven. You know, we don't, we don't just get back to like kind of ground zero and like the level playing field with Christ. We're raised up. And as Joseph kind of used his, his worldly stature to give his brothers every blessing in Egypt, Christ used his spiritual stature to give us every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's crazy forgiveness. That's radical. And when, when we had no indication, when we were giving no indication that we would turn, Christ died to give us all of that and more when we were enemies. So radical. And I think the question is, do we really connect with this forgiveness? Because uh, I think the, the importance of this, this example and of this, uh, this idea is, is twofold. Uh, and the fact that this is our standard of forgiveness now. You know, that this is the example that's been given us. This is the godly form, the godly idea of forgiveness. This is really what it means. And we have this worldly idea of forgiveness where it's like, okay, like I kind of let go of a grudge. Or you're back to ground zero. We'll just see how you do from there. I'm not going to pursue justice against you. That's just blown away by all of this. All right. We, we haven't been just put back on ground zero and let's see how you do here, kid. It's we've, we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ and this is stressed all over the, the, the New Testament. You know, just thinking about the Lord's Prayer where it says, like, Lord, forgive us as we forgive others. Right. You know, if our level of forgiveness is the level of forgiveness afforded us, where would we really be? Right. Think about that for yourselves. How do you forgive others? Mm-hmm. If that was how Christ viewed you, where would you be? Mm-hmm. And even, you know, uh, write, write this down. We'll just kind of reference this for time. But Matthew 18, 21 to 35, you know, the, the parable of the unmerciful servant. And I'll just kind of paraphrase here. Uh, there's this king, uh, and there's this man, all right? The guy owns the king, like, let's say, like, $10 million of equivalency, all right? And he's, like, begging the king for his life. Uh, and the king says, you know what? Forget it. 
10 million dollars, whatever. It's, it, it, you know, you don't, you don't owe me anything. He's like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Obviously, like, this is an amazing gift of uh, basically affording this man $10 million. Uh, that's, that's some kind of crazy money that I don't think I'll ever see in my entire life. Uh, but then the man goes, and there's this other guy that owes him about, like, 15 bucks, you know? Uh, he, <laughs> basically, like, you know, a couple meals at Chipotle, all right? And he, like, strangles the man. Uh, and he's like, you need to pay me now. And the king finds out about it and throws that guy in prison. You know, throws the man that, that uh, uh, was owed, you know, the, the small amount of money, saying, you don't, you don't understand this at all. Like, you're not grateful for this at all. Like, how dare you be forgiven so much and yet forgive so little? You know, and he says that, that's how, and the Bible says, you know, that's how it's going to be at the last day for people with this kind of heart. This is our standard of forgiveness. And, you know, it only makes sense uh, in, in view of the cross because this is just so unnatural for us. And I know for myself, my, my reaction, my, my, my version of forgiveness, my worldly version of forgiveness is usually like just to kind of move on and like let go of a grudge. But usually it's just bought uh, at the price of knowing that that other person is going to change. It's really hard for me to forgive and move on and, and treat someone, you know, like with every spiritual blessing in Christ when I'm pretty sure they're just going to screw up again. I usually start giving people a little bit of different treatment at that point. Uh, I don't really afford them grace when, when I think uh, they're, they're going to you know, continue to hurt me. I treat them a little bit differently, but that is not how Christ treats us. Uh, this is not what Jesus does. And Jesus forgave us while we were still enemies, you know, while we were still sinning and nailing him to that cross. It wasn't, it wasn't bought at a guarantee. Christ didn't, Christ didn't die for us just thinking like, okay, like they're going to be perfect for the rest of their lives after this one. Uh, you know, but the question is, do you forgive like this while it's potentially harmful? You know, where it's above and beyond the way the world forgives. So I think this is just a very worldly idea of forgiveness. Uh, do we forgive as the world does or, or does it just kind of, does it make sense the way we forgive to, to the people around us? Or do they look at it and say that it's foolish? Say that it's radical. Do we stand out by the way that we forgive and the grace that we afford others? Does it really reflect Christ? And that's a hard question. Or are we merely just good people? You know? Or do we really display the radicalness of Christ? But again, none of this is going to make sense if we don't clearly see the forgiveness we've been extended. None of this makes sense unless we really connect with that $10 million debt that we had with Christ that was forgiven. And it's not going to really happen until we, we see just how ridiculous and unimaginable the love behind Jesus' forgiveness is and really personalize and internalize that. And I think, you know, for me, I constantly forget, like, how much I've been forgiven. I, I constantly forget Jesus' love for me in this way uh, and how radical that forgiveness was just personally and how vulnerable it was just to love me personally. And I think about, you know, all, these, all the times I, I, I indulged in, in, in impurity. You know, and just impure things or impure thoughts. And, you know, that's who Jesus died for. That's the Stephen that Jesus died for. That's who he forgave. And I think about all the arrogant thoughts that I've had in my life of uh, just like, you know, looking down on people uh, for just dumb things like, like having better grades in them or having better scores on AP tests or being able to handle more in the classroom uh, and not letting it get to me and just looking down on other people because of that. That's the disgusting person that Jesus died for. Yeah, man. You know, that arrogant enemy of Christ. 
was who Jesus died for. And I think, you know, just how, how cowardly I was before Christ, and even sometimes can still be, just not wanting to take a stand for righteousness, even though I knew the truth, not wanting to stand up to my friends and, and kind of associate myself with Christ in that way. Uh, just denying, basically just tacitly denying Christ. Uh, that's who Christ died for. And, uh, you know, Jesus died for me when there was no indication yeah. that I was going to uh, right. repent, that I was going to turn and love him in turn. Because I knew the truth. Like, personally, I knew the truth for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, and my dad can attest to this of just how long I studied the Bible. Right. Uh, how, how, how many years it took me to really get this. But Christ still forgave me. Yeah. Even when I gave no indication, that's when Christ died for me. That's vulnerable love. You know, that the love was just there for my taking, even when I gave no indication that I was going to take hold of it. Uh, You know, and I think I I did and I still do hurt Jesus uh, with his forgiveness. And, you know, Jesus died for me even, even when, you know, three years ago I almost walked away. Even when I knew all that forgiveness and have partaken in, in, in the grace of Christ, but I was about to leave it all uh, in depression and just, uh, you know, just self-focus and, and just thinking it wasn't worth it anymore. Christ still loved me, yeah. gave me every spiritual blessing in Christ. You know, I just had to turn back and take it and repent of my sins. And, and this, this is the God we worship. You know, and when, when I think, you know, we see things like this for ourselves, we can't help but forgive others. But I think. Even more so, we're, we can't help but live for Christ and live like Christ when we really see things like that. And this, this is love that transforms and molds us and, and that res- restores us and, and causes us to push on even when things are hard. You know, and Christ is right there and we just have to turn to him. And as we take communion, let's really think about this. You know, and, and think about really for you what Christ's forgiveness looks like. Think about what Christ's forgiveness looks like for you and remember who you were at your worst. You know, who you were before Christ. Yeah. Before you really turned and found that love. You know, before you repented, before you were baptized, who you were before those moments and how Christ died to forgive that person. You know, how Christ died for, for a hope that, you know, first Peter two, that they that you might die to sin and live for righteousness and, and see all that you've been forgiven of and, and understand that even if you know you at your worst were 10 times the sinner that you were Christ's love would still cover all of that that nothing is too is too big for Christ to forgive that's the love of the God we worship this is the God we worship and this is whose death and resurrection we're going to remember right now when we uh, when we uh, take communion uh, so let's think about that guys just think about Christ's forgiveness and how radical and vulnerable he was just in the way that he loved us. And so we're going to pray here for, uh, for communion. Dear God, uh, I just thank you so much, uh, God, just for how ridiculous uh, your love is, God. I just pray that, you know, uh, like Paul writes, God, that we can really just have the power to, to grasp how amazingly large your love is, God. Uh, I just pray that, you know, each of us can really just connect with with who we were, God, and just how undeserving of love we were, uh, God, but that you loved us anyway. God, I just pray that that, that thought and that, that grace can just spur us on to, to greater love for others, God, greater forgiveness for others, God, but just greater love for you, uh, God, to want to live our lives, uh, you know, radically for, for you, Lord. But God, I just thank you so much for your sacrifice, God, for, 
you know, the, the breaking of your body and the spilling of your blood, God, that, that bought us that forgiveness, Lord. Uh, and I just pray that, that we can really just approach this moment with humility, uh, God, and just a sober-minded uh, assessment of who we are before you, Lord. I love you so much, and I thank you for everything you've given us in Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.